Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure. Take the adventure with us. With us. With us. With us. And welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Parallax Channel. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb, and we will be talking about Classical Studies 101, discussing the Iliad. But please, I just want to remind you, go to your podcast platform, give us some lovely ratings, uh, give us some lovely comments, any bit helps. We also have a Patreon account for those of you who would like to support us, and we could use your support. Uh, we'll have some more information on that soon, but it's Patreon 34 Circe. And of course, today we will be picking up the Iliad, discussing the next chapter in it, and who better, who else will discuss this with us? The one, the only, Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome, Gary. <laughs> so Gary, welcome. The well, well, thank you, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about chapter thirteen of the Achilles of the Iliad today. When last we left our heroes, uh, whether you're pro Trojan or pro Achaean, uh, we were in the midst of the Trojan onslaught, going at the Greeks with fury, pushing them back to their ships. So, Gary, why don't you just kind of maybe recap a little bit of chapter twelve, and then start us off on chapter thirteen. Well, that, that's basically it. It's about Hector and the Trojans uh, counterattacking uh, the Greeks or the Achaeans, as Homer refers to them. And uh, the intent is if they can burn their ships, and then um, it's very psychologically uh, destructive to the Greeks, and then uh, the Trojans hope to you know, defeat them and wipe them out. That's the hope. Okay, so where so that's taking us from twelve to thirteen. What is the key? What are the keys that we should be paying attention to for chapter thirteen? What are the, well, 13, the, main, the uh, main points? Well, thirteen is uh, continuing the the bloody war, and it, mm -hmm. it describes it in graphic uh, detail. <clears throat> but um, as I. That's the yeah. bloody war for you in the background. Okay. Um, so, so start us off. Let's let's go. Let's well, go I know, jump as, right as into I it. Keep, as I keep um, introducing the little vignettes by um, this 1883 translation of Homer, you know, by Harvard, um, with uh, Andrew Lang, Walter Leaf, and Ernest Myers. Um, they have these little synopsis in, in front of each chapter, and uh, for chapter 13, they say, and I think it's, you know, it's period language here. He says, Poseidon stirreth up the Achaeans or the Greeks to defend the ships. And that's basically, you know, that's a big part of the chapter. So so let's, let's a little something about Poseidon. So one of the things you've, you've emphasized and that you have felt that in particularly in adaptations of the Iliad, 
and of the Odyssey, well, more the Iliad, that the whole idea of the gods, the importance of the gods, is sometimes overlooked. So, what's Poseidon's relationship to the Greeks and the Trojans? Well, um, let, let me just get to it. Um, <clears throat> what I'd like to do is just read the introduction to the chapter. Now, this is a translation by Robert Fagels, 1990, the Iliad. And um, uh, <clears throat> so it starts off like this. It, it, the, he entitles the chapter Battle for, Battling, Battling for the Ships. And he says, but once, and, he, and this is the introduction, but once Zeus, you know, the king of the gods, had driven Hector and Hector's Trojans hard against the ships, he left both armies there milling among the holes to bear the brunt in the wrenching work of war, no end in sight. And he goes on, uh, but not a moment more would he turn his shining eyes to Troy. Zeus never dreamed in his heart a single deathless god would go to war for Troy, Troy's or Achaea's or the Greek forces now. But the mighty god of earthquakes, and this is actually the god of the sea, Poseidon, was not blind, he kept his watch, enthralled by the rush of battle. Aloft on the summit, of timbered uh, Mount Ida. And as I told you previously, Mount Ida was like a second uh, Mount Olympus. Right. And it's, it's located, uh, I don't know, it's like 130 miles or something like that to the uh, southeast of, of Troy. Mm-hmm. And it says uh, on Mount Ida, Ida's edge, where he had a clear view of the city of Prime, meaning Troy and a clear view of the warships of, of uh, the Greeks. And um, so it says, suddenly down from the mountain's rocky crags, Poseidon stormed with giant lightning strides, and the looming peaks and the tall timber quaked beneath his immortal feet as the sea lord searched on. Three great strides he took. Now, as I keep mentioning, I think there's a sacred symbolic number system embedded in the Iliad Odyssey. So three is not by chance. Three great strides he took. Uh, and, and when he comes to the famous uh, halls, in other words, what he's doing is he's going to his palace. To his famous halls are built in the green depths of Ege. I may be pronouncing that incorrectly, but it's A-E-G-A-E, Ege or Ege. Uh, that's where his uh, palace was. And, he had, and, the, and the palace is made of shimmering golden halls. So down Poseidon dove and yoked his bronze-hoofed horses to his battle car, meaning his chariot, his pair that raced the wind, and the golden mane streaming behind him. He strapped on his golden armor around his body, and he took his whip, bored his chariot, launching up and out, skimming the waves over the swells they came, Dolphins, which are one of the emblems of Poseidon dolphins, leaving their lairs to sport across the wake, leaping left and right, because they knew their Lord, and the sea heaved in joy, cleaving a path for him, and so on. So anyhow, he's coming into, he wants to come into the battle. Okay, so again, uh, again, why is Poseidon coming into the battle for the as you say earlier, for the Greeks. 
Well, because he's <clears throat> supporting the Greeks. But I mean, he do we have any? They're under attack. They're under attack by uh, Hector, who's very effectively, you know, broken through the the the, the main gate of the defensive wall. Of the Greeks, and he's trying to storm on to burn the ships. Do we know why he's affiliated and so close to the Greeks? I think you had mentioned, uh, you know, there was a in the naming of Athens, weren't there? You know, we had Athena, which is eventually became the patron gods, but wasn't Poseidon one of the possible? Yeah, he was. He was, um, um, <clears throat> you know, Poseidon uh, made an offering of horses or something like that. He's associated with horses, I believe. Uh, <clears throat> but Athena offered the olive tree and the ancient people there considered that a better gift. And so they went with Athena and Poseidon was was ticked off. He was ticked off about that. Well, that's why I'm wondering, you know, uh, could have been an interesting name for Athens, Poseidians or whatever they would have called it. Um, so it, they, so these particular Greeks ticked him off, yet here he is coming into the fray to help them. That's, that's why I'm well, he's trying to come way. into the fray. But, but yeah. I, I'm curious as to why. So we'll, maybe we'll see as the chapter unfolds. Well, he's, he just supports the Greeks. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I, you know, I, I, says, they're, they're so fickle. I would think he'd be a little bit angry at them, but okay. So he's backing the Greeks. Okay. He's coming into the fray. What's going to happen now? It is, but the Trojans swarmed like flame, like a whirlwind, following Hector, son of Priam, blazing on nonstop with her war cries. But the ocean king, meaning Poseidon, who grips and shakes the earth, he also causes earthquakes, by the way. Um, Rising up from the offshore swell, urged on the archives or the Greeks. And so he transforms himself. You know, the gods can transform themselves uh, into different uh, people or uh, appearing to be different people. And he transforms himself into the, uh, the main priest of the Greeks. His name was Calchas. And uh, so he commands great and little Ajax. There's two Ajaxes. He says, Ajax, Ajax, both of you, fight to save the Achaean armies. Call up your courage. No no cringing panic now. <clears throat> so he urges them on, you know. And so okay. they, they answer the call. Okay. <clears throat> and it says, um, in the same breath, the God who shakes the earth struck both men with his staff and filled their hearts with strength and striking force. And so he numbers, he gets uh, both Ajaxes into the battle. And then he says, he, Homer says, he speeds off like a darting hawk. It's uh, fascinating the, that Poseidon has that power with the earthquakes and the tides because we, we know the relationship now in modern science. We see this kind of connection between the sea, the tides, and earthquakes. So it's, it just makes me wonder just how aware the ancients were about these connections. I mean, when you when you start delving into the world of the Greek myths, it's an absolutely fascinating sport. Um, so we now have that. The Greeks are now being inspired. What happens now? Well, the <clears throat> Ajax goes on the attack. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, both Ajaxes. <clears throat> and, um, and also um, other... Greeks like Toyser, who's a, an, uh, an archer, you know, he shoots a bow and arrow. Um, <clears throat> and um, so they have their 
conflict, but the Trojans are still advancing uh, their way to the ships. And uh, and here Homer has Ajax trying to put down the Trojans. He says, Trojans are advancing, who up till now had panicked like deer, food in the in the woods for jackals, leopards, and wolves, and so on. So he's trying to put down the uh, the Trojans, you know. So okay. anyhow, they they, uh, they have a, a a battle, you know, serious battle around the what, what Homer calls the the, uh, the hollow ships. And uh, one of the Ajaxes says, "Look, Hector, the king of the war cry, fights beside our ships, assaulting in in his force. Hector crashed our gates. He burst our tremendous bar. You know, the the bar that uh, held the gate." His voice like a shockwave, the god of the earthquake spurred the archives on, or the Greeks on, and so on. Um, and yet the Trojan charge with shining Hector, you know, Homer keeps referring to Hector as uh, Hector the bright helmet, Hector the shining helmet. And uh, so he's leading uh, a wall of his troops, a wall of them together, spear by spear, shield by sheer, shield, the rims overlapping, and so on. I just saw the movie uh, again, 300 last night, and they showed that kind of uh, scene, you know, even though it's, it was about Leonidas and the battle of Thermopylae against the Persians, you know, much later than the Trojan War. We'll have to do uh, an episode on that very soon. 300, on the 300. And then Homer goes on to describe, you know, the... Gary, with that thought, would you, would you like to do an episode on the 300? Oh, yes, I would. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I actually have problems with the, uh, the the movie 300. I have a lot of problems with the movie 300. So we'll yeah, it, it has too much fantasy it. stuff in it and doesn't stick to the story enough for me. Um, it's, it's, there's all kinds of weird subtext in that But there, there was a movie back in the 50s called uh, The 300 Spartans with Richard Egan. Mm-hmm. And uh, that I have a copy of that, actually, and I think that's a truer depiction of the, of the uh, battle. Maybe we can do another uh, comparison. Although, you know, Gerard Butler is very commanding and very compelling and as Leonidas, you know, the king of the Spartans, but there's mm-hmm. too much uh, fantasy stuff in it for me. Now, yeah, getting back to the Iliad, it says, Hector uh, bulked them together, spear by spear, shield by shield, the rims overlapping, uh, breastplate to breastplate, helm to helm or helm to helm, man to man, mass tight, and the horsehair crest on glittering helmets, horns brushed as they toss their heads. So he's talking about horned helmets, which is interesting because, as I said before, we normally think of horned helmets with the Vikings, but the Vikings mainly didn't wear horned helmets, but the ancient Bronze Age Greeks did. Mm-hmm. So I thought so that's that would, interesting. That would lend credence to your belief that this is contemporaneous with the period, accurate to the period, accurate to the time that where some archaeologists are arguing that the Trojan War actually did take place. I mean, it seems to really validate the notion that this is a Bronze Age battle, right? Well, the consensus is the Trojan War took place sometime around 1200 BC. Right. That's the Bronze Age. Late Bronze Age, yeah. Sure. Sure. But that, but I'm saying the what Homer writes about is consistent with that era, correct? Yes. Yes, it is. 
excuse me. Um, so anyhow, he's talking about Hector threatened at first to rampage through the, the Greek ships and shelters and reach the sea with a single sudden charge, killing all the way. But once he crashed through the dense battalions, dead in his tracks, he stopped, crushed up against them. In other words, um, the Greeks formed a battle line and they're able to, you know, withstand the attack. And so Homer, you know, Hector's trying to urge them on, you know, Trojans and so on, hand to hand, stand by me here. They cannot hold us off any longer and stuff like that. And so he shouted lashing with rage and fighting fury in every Trojan. Breaking out one of the ranks, Diphobo strode, the son of Priam. But Marionis, who's a Greek, took aim at Diphobos, hurled his flashing spear and struck right in the bull's hide boss. The boss is, uh, you know, uh, an extension on the shield, you know, to uh, make it stronger, so on. And then he talks about toys. So in other words, what Homer does, he just goes from one fighter to the next, you know. And Toyser, you know, who's the uh, the archer, he says, first to kill his man, a son of mentor. I thought it's interesting there's a character called mentor because we have the word mentoring or mentors today. And, uh, and, and mentor was, get this, uh, was was to wed a bastard daughter of King Priam. <laughs> I thought that's kind of interesting that Homer put that in there. Right. Well, uh, and that, obviously in that era that you know, we were just talking on a different podcast about um, the protocols for marriage and inheritance and children. And of course that they would have been concerned with the legitimacy or illegitimacy of any child in that era in particular, these very patriarchal you know, cultures. Yeah, so King Priam was not monogamous, you know, with the, you know, Queen Hecuba. Yeah, and yeah, and there's that too, the fact that he wasn't monogamous and also, you know, with the lineage, the legitimacy of the children. So, yeah, don't, different era, obviously. Different rules for men than for women, too. So. And then, so, okay. the, you know, uh, he goes on, he says, Toyser charged, but Hector flung his lance, a glint of bronze, and the Argive saw it coming, dodged to the side, and missed him by an inch, uh, and hit Am Amphimachus, um, the son uh, and uh, Actor's heir. So he mentions another name that we, uh, you know, have today, Actor, but uh, in, th in this case, it's a character called Actor. And then Hector rushes in, Ajax lunged with a spear, and yet the burnished weapon could not pierce the skin and so on. Hector's whole body was cased in tremendous bronze. So and so they, they, they have a, a battle but you know between Ajax and, and Hector. Which is interesting because the movie Troy showed that. It was a pretty good scene actually in the movie Troy with Hector and Ajax fighting each other. And then he talks about little Ajax, you know, uh, lops off the head of one of the Greeks. I mean, excuse me, one of the Trojans and so on. And then the heart of Poseidon quaked with anger and his own grandson brought down a bloody charge. In other words, one of Poseidon's sons were, was killed. You know, in other words, the gods had affairs with 
mortal oh, women. Right, 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 of course. And so Poseidon's upset that one of his uh, sons of one of his mortal, mortal women he had a love affair with uh, was killed and so on. And then uh, Homer goes on to talk about Idomeneus, who is uh, the king of the, or he calls him the captain of the Cretans, you know, from Crete, the island of Crete, which uh, had the great Minoan civilization that we talked about before. That's right. But, uh, uh, Idomeneus. Matriarchal was, history, right. Yeah. Ido, Ido or Idomeneus um, was the king of the Cretans. And uh, so, and then he's he's exhorting, you know, <clears throat> uh, the Greeks as well. He says, "Quick, take your shoulder to shoulder, swing to the work. We must, just as we are, if we hope to make our headway. The worst cowards banded together have their power, but you and I got the skill to fight their best and everything." So Homer just goes from one of these heroes to the next. You know, throughout throughout the chapter, really. You know. So how do we? Where do where do we end up with? Where do we end up? I should say in this chapter. Now that the now that Poseidon has spurred on the Greeks, the Trojans had been in charge. Do the Greeks sway? Do they change the momentum, like they say in football or any sport, baseball? Do they change the momentum of the game and start pushing pushing back? Yes, I mean it says. Um, uh, great Ajax yields to no one, no mortal who eats Demeter, the goddess Demeter's grain. She's a goddess of grain and so on. Um, he says, not even Achilles who smashes whole battalions, he would never yield to him in a stand-up fight. So anyhow, you know, they, they fight on. He says, when, uh, when the Trojans saw Idomeneus as fierce as fire, and his aided arms and handsome blazing gear, they all cried out and charged them and so on. Pitch battle broke out at the ship's sterns. At the because He mentioned ship's sterns because the way they beach the ships, they put the rear of the ship on the beach, and then the front of the ship or the prow is in the water, which makes it easier for them to uh, put the ship back into the ocean. Right, to get back out. And then it, Homer goes on, the two powerful sons of Cronus, Cronus, was the father of Zeus and the father of Poseidon. Uh, and uh, they're deathless spirits warring against each other, but Zeus is more powerful than Poseidon. And, and, and there, uh, there are three brothers. Yes, the other one is Hades, who rules the kingdom of the dead, which is also called Hades. And uh, so Homer goes on, both were gods of the same line, meaning uh, Zeus and Poseidon, from a single father, but Zeus was the elder born. So in other words, he was born earlier, and that, that made him the ruler more powerful. So, so in other words, Zeus forces Poseidon and says, Poseidon shrank from defending allies out in the open. Okay, so how do we, how do we end? How do we wrap? Uh, well, you know, it just goes on with, you know, the bloody battle and so on. And um, and so basically uh, talking about war lust and all this sort of thing. Um, and so uh, it ends with, um, and I'll just read you the, the ending here. Um, 
because you know Hector's uh, you know, talking <clears throat> again to the Ajax and the Greeks. He said, "Enough, your blustering threats, you clumsy ox." He's, he's talking to Ajax now. What loose talk? What rant? I wish I were as surely the son of storming Zeus for all my days, and noble Hera, the queen of the gods, gave me birth, and I were prized as they prize Athena and Apollo. Athena is the goddess of wisdom and defensive war, and Apollo's the, the god of uh, music and poetry and a variety of things. Um, and by the way, uh, Athena was for the Greeks, Apollo was for the Trojans. Right, I think we talked about and that. And there was, he brings the up the rivalry and so on and says, Right, right. Uh, if you have the daring to stand against my heavy spear, he's talking to Ajax again, its point will rip your soft, worn skin to shreds. Then you'll glut, then you'll, then you'll glut the dogs and birds of Troy with your fat and flesh cut down by the big, you know, I'll cut you down by the big ships. And then here's the last, uh, you know, part of it. He says, and loosing a savage yell, Hector led the way, and his captains followed close with unearthly cries, and Trojan ranks behind him crying shrill. But facing them, the Achaean or the Greek ranks cried back, not forgetting their courage, braced hard for assault, and the Trojans' bravest charged and roars from both armies struck the high clear skies, the lightning world of Zeus, and that's how it ends. Wow, that's a great, that's a fantastic way to stop it, which was we stop it just as the big battle was about to explode, about to go into another phase. So, okay, we'll have to then, you know, right you know, there. This is kind of the the last uh, major offensive of the Trojans, according to the Iliad. And, we'll uh, and, and then the Greeks get on the offensive again, you know, that leads to the fall. This will be, it's a great, it's a great cliffhanger way to stop. So let us stop right there. Um, what a great place. So Gary, Dr. Gary Stickle, let me thank you once again. Thank you. And I am Sean Marlon Newcomb. This has been the 34 Circe Salon, the Parallax Channel. We have been talking about Chapter 13 of the Iliad. Take care. We'll be back soon. 